Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. My name is Denise Michaud, Chair of the Grown-Ups Forum and your host for today. We also welcome our listening audience and invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. Our program tonight is Invisible Women's Voices Finally Being Heard. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our distinguished speaker. Miriam Baker is an author and specialist in women's religious studies. She has launched her career as a spiritual teacher, leading retreats and workshops all over the world. As a leader in women's spirituality since the 70s, Miriam has dedicated herself to uncovering the voices that have been forgotten, shunted aside, or deliberately silenced. To free up women's voices throughout the world and amongst all religions, Miriam Baker, in her book, Sacred Voices, Stories from the Caravan of Women, shows how we are all connected more than we think and how women can lead the way. Please welcome Miriam Baker. Thank you, Denise. Ah, welcome, everyone. So wonderful to um, be standing right here. It's such an honor to be asked to speak and present here in San Francisco. So uh, I'm just back from Germany, um, a little more than 24 hours. And one of the amazing things as I was traveling through the Istanbul airport picked up the International New York Times and the lead article on the front page, yes, women can save the world. So uh, I, I uh, was and have been the last weeks just so very happy to see this resonance towards the wisdom of women in terms of making peace around the world. And when I say women, I do mean those of us who have uh, identified ourselves and gendered that way. And I also include all of the anima, the woman soul within every other being who is engendered in a different way, because we need to awaken this women's soul, this uh, what our native people sometimes call the womb basket in each and, and all of us to engender peace on this planet. So thank you for coming this evening and uh, being open to listening to this journey um, that I have taken uh, as a Western North, not only we talk, we used to talk only East and West, and now we must definitely talk also of the Northern and Southern hemispheres as well, um, to journey with me uh, a little bit into uncovering this story of uh, our Muslim sisters throughout the world. So, reading from the introduction. Before I do that, those of you who might not have seen yet um, the published version of Sacred Voices, Stories from the Caravan of Women, I do want to take a moment to mention my co-creatrix, Cynthia Dollard, who is such an amazing artist who illustrated uh, these, these stories and this journey. All right. What is Sacred Voices? This epic, uh, it feels like an epic pregnancy that I've had for many, many years. So quite wonderful to, to see finally this, this, uh, manifestation. 
Sacred Voices is a story of profound beauty and generosity as evoked through poetry, oral tradition, and recipes for the soul and the body. Sacred Voices speaks first to the heart of our human existence, from the experience of women in the great circle of time, past, present, and future. The foundation of the sacred psychology of soul work supports the weaving of the threads of many voices, unique, individual, and united in one resonating voice for peace within and without. Sacred Voices calls upon the inner and outer voices and reality of women from multicultural, multigenerational, multitemporal existence to the organic unfolding story of human life. The art, poetry, recipes for body and soul, and stories from the oral tradition invite the reader into a world of experience, accessing ancestors and women of today. Sacred Voices affirms that it is time now in the 21st century to move beyond and through internalized impression and degradation of the last many millennia to claim the inerrant beauty power, and wisdom that is our human birthright. So this uh, orientation to the freeing of hypnotic imprint over the last thousands of years that do separate us um, is what is vitally important at this moment for each of us to transcend, to cross a threshold of greater understanding. The book is an exploration of the sacred feminine within Islam, a belief system that has dominated the Middle East for over 13th century. The book presents the lives of Muslim and Sufi women in both a historic and contemporary context. The intention is to create a journey into understanding through the direct, widely varying experiences of these women. This is an intimate story of lover and beloved, a reflection of relationship with Allah, who is known as the one and only being. This work contains dreams, narratives, recipes, scriptural passages, interviews, and poetry, grounded with suggestions for spiritual practice and meditation. Dreams throughout our recorded history have always been valued within the mystical journey. Within Sufism, there is a well-developed science of dream interpretation. Within each chapter, are the personal dreams experienced by the author while working on sacred voices. Whose voice? In deconstructing the patriarchal paradigm within the spiritual and religious community, the honoring of the voice of women is imperative. And at this moment uh, on our planet, it is vital that the soul, all our souls, the woman's soul, the woman's soul, birthing, what is peace, what is love, harmony, and beauty is vital at this moment. The intention of this book is to be a reflection of beauty, wisdom, strength, and generosity. The cyclical and spiral nature of experience allows for the inclusion of complexity and paradox, mystery, and diversity. The psychological and physical binding of women through the ages in some places continues, in others is exploding with questions and action as women become free in their bodies and minds. As women increase self-esteem and release the imprint of abject servitude, in some global areas women are gaining greater education and greater status economically. 
Women have been viewed through the lens of prophecy, sainthood, mastery, virginity, mother, daughter, mystery, sexual object, siren, and spirit. Do these idealizations lead us towards peace, unity, wholeness, and the ability to honor and respect our true nature as sons and daughters of God? We are fortunate to be discovering many of the lost stories and identities of women heroes of our time. What is sacred? The approach of this book is that every member of our human family is sacred. Every rock, plant, animal is sacred. The stars and sun and moon are sacred. Why are we sacred? We can begin with the premise that we are the sons and daughters of the one and only being who is called by many names. In this text, we honor the sacred name of Allah, this name to which comes to us uh, through the religion of Islam, is Arabic. And if we are Christian and live in, in Lebanon, we would also use this name of Allah as we pray to God the Father. We are sacred, holy, blessed. When we speak our story, we give the gift of our life. Each story is of value and important, just as each cell of our body is of value and important. So, in the Sacred Voices Project, we welcome all our stories. All are vitally important at this moment uh, for deep listening and discovering avenues towards peace and understanding. The caravan of women is a caravan traveling through time and space, moving ever toward unity with all beings. At times within recorded history, this caravan has been respected, and at times, as we all know, the target of hatred bias, prejudice, abuse, and violence. In this context, we focus on the voice of a few Muslim and Sufi women, and we enter into a history, a history of Islam, to familiarize ourselves with the manifest reality of these women, the story of their lives, and how they have chosen to be sacred. We honor the reality that exists within the maleness and femaleness of every living being, in concentrating on the feminine principle, we do not divorce from the male community. Rather, we hold the intention that through this fo focus of sacred voices, we may actively and consciously move toward gender reconciliation and peace and the welcoming of a rainbow unity of our human family. The intention of Sacred Voices is to reflect some of the beauty and wisdom of this small sample of women who walk the Sufi and Muslim paths. Voice is a potent blessing. Let us expand this blessing within ourselves as we stretch to inclusivity for those who are different, for those whom we do not understand, or perhaps even repulse us. Let us expand this blessing within ourselves, opening to those parts that we may abhor or that cause discomfort, opening to hearing all our voices. We observe judgment. We release judgment, inhaling Exhaling, centered in the heart, breathing, hearing the sacred. Let us listen, relax, and allow all our sacred voices. The journey begins. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is the opening words of every surah of the Holy Quran, which says, in the name of the one and only being, who is mercy, who is compassion.
I'd like to share some of the interviews uh, with Muslim women around the world that are part of this um, journey, this caravan. The first interview comes from a Shia Muslim women, woman. Some of us aren't too aware uh, of the difference between what is called the Shia sect of Islam and the Sunni sect. Um, often we see in the news some conflict between these two sects. And just like Christianity, um, there aren't necessarily very many differences uh, and yet, just as we know, those of us um, either from the Jewish or Christian faiths of the Tree of Abraham or any of our religions around the world, conflicts do exist even amongst those of the same orientation. Uh, Surya moved to this country after living in India and then to Tanzania and then finally to the United States. To me, to be a Muslim is to accept all faiths. Why? Because of that spark of Allah's nur, light, which is in me and in all human beings. The concept of Taweed, the oneness of the Creator, the unity of God, reinforces the notion that Allah created all of us in mercy created a rainbow of human beings with different colors, languages, cultures, a bouquet for us to be inspired by and to learn from, to celebrate and embrace. I worked with young people, and whenever there was pain and suffering, I felt it in me. I felt empowered to offer solace, guidance, and somehow show that the sufferer is a positive way to look at a situation and be comforted by knowing that all co things come to an end, good or bad, and that these are opportunities for personal growth, spiritual growth, growth of personality, and strength of purpose in finding a direction in life. To be religious is to belong to humanity and know that I was created to leave the world a better place by being who I am, living the ethics of Islam, of compassion and sharing. Charity is not just sharing of one's material wealth, but of one's physical, intellectual, and spiritual wherewithal. And so the interview continues. Uh, an ayat from Holy Quran, Surah 56, number 25. No frivolity will they hear therein, nor any taint of ill, only the saying, peace, peace, peace. Another uh, excerpt from um, someone also interviewed from the Ishmali Muslim faith, Zarina. Within this sect of Islam, the instruction is to harmonize with the culture in which one lives. Zarina does not wear hijab or abaya in her everyday life. Culturally and historically, this community traces roots from the loss of the Fatimid Caliphate in Egypt to the highlands of Syria, Lebanon, and the mountains of Tehran and Iran. Zarina speaking, I never question my life. I surrender to the will of Allah. Allah is the river. We are raindrops. The living guide tells us how to live in the corporal, temporal, and spiritual world. I am so lucky to have this guidance. Unity, Taweed, is the essence. I have not made Hajj, the pilgrimage, one of the five pillars of Islam, 
yet. Hajj is not about proving I did it. My religious guidance says, educate your daughters more than you would your sons. When one educates a daughter, one educates a community. And the interview continues. So within Islam, very strongly, we often in the West um, are not aware how important education is, and especially education for everyone. Uh, just as all religion becomes confused by those in power, um, so much of the rights of women in many parts of the Middle East and the Far East have been usurped. And as we know, the wonderful Malia, who won the Nobel Prize at the age, she had just turned 17, I believe, um, a few years ago, her whole orientation is education of women, even after in Pakistan, she uh, was bombed by a chemical bombed bomb and half of her body was severely um, mutilated. Uh, she's doing well now and continues to strive for the education of all women, even within her own community, um, in which it's very dangerous in, in Pakistan. So, how is everyone doing? <laughs> Great. Ha. Ah. If um I had a little stove, I'd cook up one of the recipes that are at the back of the book. Uh also included in the book are some recipes that are recipes of meditation and um vibrational orientation, recipes that can help uh our soul be also nurtured and nourished. Okay. A little story of Hagar, the handmaiden. Uh, Hagar in Arabic. Um, perhaps many of us know this story at some point in our lives from uh, this tree of Abraham, either the Jewish faith or the Christian faith. Uh, so, going back in time, back to the desert, um, first in Egypt, we see after the long journey of Abraham and Sarah, their names have been changed as they've traveled from Babylon into Egypt. Um, we come to that time after the Pharaoh has had enough of Sarah. Abraham and Sarah have lied. They have said they're brother and sister. Um, so they would not get more persecuted. Sarah then, when Pharaoh tries to abuse her in any way, gets um, deformed in some way or horribly ill. So he decides at some point, go. <laughs> so he sends Sarah and Abraham off. And as a gift to make sure they leave and go a distance, he also gives them one of his daughters, a princess in this story, uh, in this interpretation, named Hajar. Okay. And so she becomes the handmaiden, or that assistant to Sarah, the first wife of Abraham, of Ibrahim. To tell st the story of Hajar, the mother of Ishmael, one must begin with the story of Abraham, or Ibrahim, beloved patriarch and prophet of three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Abraham in the West and in the North is considered the father of monotheism. Uh, as we continue our research um, 
both through anthropology and archaeology uh, every day we uncover that this monotheistic orientation existed perhaps quite prior to that one we call Abraham, Ibrahim. Ah, so... Coming forward, after the pharaoh freed Sarah and offered her the gift of the Egyptian slave princess Hajar as her handmaiden, Sarah and Hajar and Abraham lived together in the large community where Sarah has not been successful for many years in giving her husband his greatest desire, children. So as a gift to her husband, she offers her handmaiden, Hajar, who becomes pregnant quite quickly and gives birth to Ishmael. Sarah, honored in the position as first wife, becomes increasingly jealous of the of Hajar, who has replaced her in the role of mother to Abraham's first son, Ishmael. Sarah is finally blessed with a son of her own, Isaac, and we know this story, that as she is blessed, she laughs, and she laughs and laughs, because she is quite ancient in age. Um, and This story is of great import to female theologians. What is this relationship between Sarah and Hajar? In some, uh, a male perspective has perverted the story, and they were really close friends. In some others, um, what we need to heal for there to be peace in Palestine, Jerusalem, Israel, is the ancient story. How many thousands of years old between Sarah and Hajar? So it is very much this story at the crux of, uh, of looking also at peace, especially um, in Jerusalem and in the Middle East. In some versions of this tale, Sarah demands that Hajar must receive three cuts, believed by some to refer to the female circumcision or clitorectomy and piercing of the earlobes. Fascinating um, current thought, uh, not proved, and yet coming down to us through the oral tradition. And um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> so I will continue with the story of Hajar and, and Sarah. Abraham, at Sarah's uh, desire, takes Hajar and Ishmael into the wasteland, of the Arabian desert, a place where there is no water and nothing growing with harsh, rocky terrain and completely arid. I don't know if any of you have been uh, trekking uh, in the sub-Sahara at all. It is very challenging. And to imagine being left out there with a, a nursing baby and nothing anywhere um, is quite astounding. Abraham takes Hajar and, Ishmael into the wasteland. Abraham is instructed, Ibrahim is instructed by God to leave Hajar and Ishmael in this barren land. As, as Ibrahim is prepared to leave, he gives Hajar a bag of dates and a skin container of water. This would last, those of you who have been in the sub-Saharan know, about one hour maybe. <laughs> Devastated, Hajar cries out that she and her child are too weak to survive in this vast desert wilderness. She implores Abraham, did God tell you to do this? Abraham affirms that God has a plan for them and will protect them, allowing Hajar to then embrace her destiny with faith. So again, we come to a point in this story where I have a question. 
I have a question. All those times in religion or in politics or in business where someone says, God told me to do it. God told me to take all the money. God told me to eat all the cake. Um, I'm entitled. Of course God told me. So it, it is an inter- interesting point in the story. Uh, and a, again, a point of conflict amongst female theologians. Um, yes, God told her to do, God told Ibrahim to do this. Uh, Sarah and Hajar were, were very good friends. I wonder about these things. I wonder about our human jealousy. I wonder uh, about the primal emotions before even our conscious thought that sometimes dictates how we behave. So we come to this point. I have no answers. This is a question, though, I, I chew on in this story. Struggling to survive and protect her son in this land of burning winds and sands that parched her mouth and skin. So we're talking in this version, a little baby still at the breast nursing. Hajar desperately seeks a safe place for herself and Ishmael. And of course, there is nothing but sand. There is no safe place. She's not left in the oasis. She journeys in anguish until eventually she comes to Mount Safa, but saw neither water nor signs of human life. She continues on to Mount Marwa and saw nothing but black rocks. Hajar travels between these two mountains seven times in an urgent effort to save herself and her child. In some versions of this story, Hajar's deep prayer and has escalated an escalated need for water for her child turns the earth inside out as she runs back and forth between these two mountains. After her seventh attempt, as she stands anguished atop Mount Marwa, Hajar hears a voice and runs to her child Ishmael. A radiant angel has appeared and is very near to him. The angel strikes its wings upon the ground, and life-giving water gushes forth. Hajar and Ishmael drink deeply of this water as it bubbles forth from the earth. The water relieves the parched skin, and both are revived in heart and body. After they were rejuvenated from the life-giving water, Hajar protected the spring with earth and stone. So this is the tr- the well of Zemzem. Often um, we hear of this well in many stories and fairy tales, the wonderful life-giving water of the desert. And uh, many, many of these oral tradition stories do include angels who come um, and assist, whether it's with water, uh, and perhaps there'll be another story that we meet one of these angels. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Now, back to our program. Again, very poignant this story of Sarah and Hajar amongst women rabbis and amongst uh, Muslim women in this discussion of can, can we make peace? Was there jealousy? Um, 
and jealousy again between the son, Ishmael, who begins the Islamic faith, and the son, Isaac, who Abraham does not sacrifice in the Jewish tradition. In the Islamic tradition, it is Ishmael who was to be sacrificed. So, slight difference there. Okay. Another interview, very short, called The Jewels of Konya. And this interview happened late at night in Konya, Turkey, with a multi-generational group of women. Uh, we had been up uh, with the dervishes, um, turning, uh, singing, um, doing those kinds of wonderful things. And afterwards, we were sitting together, drinking tea and coffee, having some cake. There were babies and moms and young women and grandmothers and great-grandmothers all sitting together. Um, I did edit out, edit out some of the conversations, but very funny about sexuality, but those were edited for the book. So... From uh, this late night in the land of uh, Jalaluddin Rumi, Konya, the land of roses, this is some of the uh, excerpts from that interview. On beauty, physical beauty is not important. The heart's beauty is important. It's important that your heart is good. A pure heart makes your face more beautiful. On the wisdom of God, The most important thing is that the soul must be pure to receive. Clean the eyes, the ears, and the heart. The world tests all the mystics. The world is a university. Our diploma is the work that we do here, and our respect, gratitude, and service. The new generation of women is awake and conscious. Unholy Quran and following Islam. The Quran has revealed everything about the world. We learn Islam in our family. Terror never includes religion. We are Turkish Muslim women who pray. The sky and the earth pray for healing all women victims. In the early days of Islam, life was simple, not difficult. Prophet Muhammad created a road and everyone followed. In the past, hijab was by a parental decision. So this was whether or not to veil oneself. Today, Turkish Muslim women protest to wear hijab in the university. Uh, in 1923, Kemal Ataturk outlawed the wearing of the veil within Turkey. And now we see a resurgence among especially young Muslim women to be able um, to be accepted wearing the veil. It was outlawed. You could not work in a public place, in a bank, for example, post office, etc., if you did choose to wear hijab or go to a public university either. So this has changed just in the last uh, 15 to 20 years. Pornography is spoiling new generations. Um, a few other things from this late night interview. Islam is understanding forgiveness, astaghfirullah, and unconditional love. Don't compare my journey to God. Each of us is new, unique. Don't compare your journey. And another Surah 90 from Holy Quran. And what will explain to you what the steep path is? It is the freeing of a slave from bondage, or the giving of food in a day of famine to an orphan, relative, 
or to the needy person in distress. Then will one be of those who believe and join fortitude and encourage kindness and compassion. As I think we're, many of us are aware of, uh, within the Sunni faith, uh, we follow a rhythm of five times a day prayer. In the Shia faith, it's a little bit different. It might be three times a day. Always very important part of this is ablutions, daily ablutions. Um, and especially they help those of us who are yogis or follow the yogic path. They especially help with our ability to breathe fully and completely. Um, and uh, for all the mystics, the breath is the original and most potent source of spiritual food or energy. So the ablutions of the face, of the senses, of the nostrils, of the mouth, of the hands, of the feet, which uh, Prophet Muhammad instigated um, five, five times a day, uh, certainly um, add a certain amount of health. Uh, some su- suspect that that was the reason he instigated it. Others say, especially amongst the Sufis, say we do it to constantly wash the impressions of the heart, to constantly welcome the dehypnotization that we have bombard- been bombarded with by the media, within our cultures, within our education, and sometimes even within our, our family life as young children. So, haha. Before prayer, ablutions are essential and are a daily part of Muslim life. When purifying the body, attention is also given to cleansing the heart and consciousness. And it goes on in the book explaining how these purifications are done. As Sufis, we often will use light as the element for which we, we, uh, work with purification, using light to purify the mind, the eyes, the ear, the ear of the heart, the ear that cut co- the eye that comes to us uh, in the ancient Egyptian mystery school, the eyes that is called uh, the eye of wisdom, or the eye of the goddess, the eye of the sacred feminine. One of the five pillars of Islam is called zakat or generosity. And the rose is an extreme example of this generosity through uh, both its the beauty of its flower as well as the rose hip, which gives to us um, medicine and also food. Uh, the rose is also a symbol of uh, Jalaluddin Rumi and many other of uh, the saints, not only within Islam, but also within the tree of Abraham, which would embrace Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. The rose is known as the queen of flowers and mirror of beauty. It is an archetype of completeness and perfection. The rose is the symbol of generosity of Allah, giving both fragrance and fruit, sustaining body, heart, and soul. The fragrance of the rose is said to be pleasing to angels and saints and to assist in our listening of the spirit of guidance. When our Muslim brothers and sisters pray, they remember uh, to greet the angels both to the left and to the right from horizon to horizon and say to these angels also every day, peace be with you. Honored within Islam, the rose is associated with the Prophet Muhammad, Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi, Maryam, that is Mary, the mother of Jesus, Isa, and other saints and friends of the friends. 
There is a saying that the rose is born of the sweat of the prophet's brow. The artifacts of the prophet, garments and hair from his beard, are said to smell of roses, even centuries later. This can be experienced in Konya, Turkey, at the Turbe, the tomb of Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi. Pilgrims stand next to the glass case protecting these beard hairs. As this pilgrim, the author of this book, did, and the delicious fragrance of roses is perceptible as a living gift from the prophet. So, coming more into the time of questions and answers. Let's see, any other excerpts to read to you? I think at this point, um, through art in the last 50 or 60 years, we're all familiar with what is called the hand of Fatima, that hand of blessing. Uh, and so, um, Fatima... Uh, for those of us who might know, is the daughter of Prophet Muhammad and seen very much as an intermediary an intermediary for um, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, especially Syria and war-torn places now, just as we might pray to some of, some of us as Christians, might pray uh, using Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, to... Uh, accentuate our prayers, or if we are from a Buddhist faith, we might be attuning to Kuan Yin. Um, our Muslim brothers and sisters often do this with Hazrati Fatima. It's said of Fatima that she was bioluminescent, and we read about the halos surrounding some of the saints and mystics, and very much this is a story of Fatima, that she had a glowing brightness, a light, what in Islam is called the Nuri around her. One of the main practices that uh, is often done um, is what is called the wedding gifts. There's another story of these wedding gifts from Mohammed to his daughter Fatima. Uh, in one story, she is given the gifts of Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, a certain prayer. Um, and in another story, which is very close to my heart, she's not given to these gifts at her wedding. She's given them a little later. She has given, has given birth to the twins, Hassan and Hussein, and she's going a little bit, uh, she is feeling quite challenged with all her responsibilities, her responsibilities to the community, to her personal family, and to her father as the unfolding of the religion of Islam continues. Now, why is this story very close to me and easier for me to grasp? It's because I myself have twins, actually two sets of twins. So when she goes to her father and says, please, I need help. And he says, I'll give you all the help you need. And she says, wonderful, I'm ready. And what he gives her, her is this prayer of subhanallah, alhamdulillah, allahu akbar, the great treasures. Okay, so dear friends, um, one more short poem. I didn't get to an incredible 
uh, being of the 20th century, Nuranisa Nayak Khan. She is just being honored um, very much in Europe for her work as a spy in World War II. There is now, she is the only woman uh, with a statue commemorating this in um, the United Kingdom. It is in London. It is very, very exciting. There have been several movies, uh, not yet um, really making prime time for us. Very amazing story. Uh, and she is also in the book. So, last poem. And this comes from someone named Rabia Al-Adwia, and it opens the section called Recipes to Nourish Body and Soul. It's called The Source of Nourishment. My joy, my hunger, my shelter, my friend, my food for the journey, my journey's end. You are my breath, my hope, my companion, my craving, my abundant wealth. Without you, my life, my love, I would never have wandered across the endless countries. You have poured out so much grace for me, done me so many favors, given me so many gifts. I look everywhere for your love. Then suddenly I am filled with it. O captain of my heart, radiant eye of yearning in my breast, I will never be free from you as long as I live. Be satisfied with me, love, and I am satisfied. So we we hear this poem of longing from a Sufi uh, woman, Rabia al-Adwia, this great longing for union uh, with that one and only being who created this great mystery that we are blessed to live in. So, dear friends, uh, any questions? Why are the young Muslim women wanting to wear the hijabs? This is a good question. And um, the strongest insight that I have been exposed to is to create identity. Identity that is free from a Western imprint. Um, I think that is, that is one insight. Another insight is to claim, um, a, a certain recognition of what it is to be female. And in a different way than we do, perhaps. We might see this in our young women with, um, you know, wearing those, those wonderful short, 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 short shorts. And so in, uh, uh, in other countries, we see, we see the young women taking a different direction. And um, it does create a very strong identification. And the hijab is different than the full abaya, which would cover everything, sometimes even except for the eyes. And sometimes I've even seen that within the space of the eyes that's uncovered, there might even be a tattoo that covers in blackness the skin that is still showing that is not the eyes. So there is there is such a variation of choice, um, ideally choice, of how one might might fail. Yeah, Any big big questions? subject. Um, this this choice of of wearing and may it be a choice rather that rather than a dictate or a law. Yeah. Other questions, please. Yeah. What is your advice for cultivating for someone who wants to cultivate the anima? Of the feminine, yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, you know, if if I was really hardcore, I'd say you better read this book. And, and um, certainly, it is allowing our heart 
uh, and our sensitivity in all ways to grow in greater tenderness, compassion, mercy, increasing our ability to hear the cry of humanity at this moment around the world. And I, I'm just so impressed with this front page. Yes, women can save the world. And how can we do that? By really uniting through this deep listening and recognition, which doesn't always come from reading. I, I won't say that about this book, but um, that that really does come, I believe, as someone immersed in Sufism through what we share through the glance when we have that opportunity to look at each other or through our atmosphere um, and through uh, what might be called the larger connection, uh, that great mystery that it can occur when we're vulnerable to one another and when we can meet on a what might be called a soul level. Thank you for a really excellent question. I hope I've said a little something there. Yeah. Any other questions, dear friends? Um, and ultimately, I know I did a lot of reading. Ultimately, this is a book about peace and the absolute necessity from this person's perspective that uh, this is of the most vital importance at this moment. And there are many of us. We hear a story that it seems like, where are we? And yet we are all over the world. We are everywhere. And so let's come together. Uh, let's honor one another. Um, Sufism is a path of noble respect for every person. And uh, I thank you all for coming and listening today. Thank you. Mary, can you let our listening audience know how to reach you or how to purchase your book? Oh, yes. Uh, we have a website uh, called Stories from the Caravan of Women, thecaravanofwomen.org. Um, and you can reach us best at Dog Ear Publishing. We're also available on Amazon. If you can go to Dog Ear, that, that's better. <laughs> so thank you. Our thanks to Marion Baker for her comments here today. We also thank our audience here as well as those listening to the recording. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California commemorating its 116th year of enlightened discussion is adjourned.